When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. Real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. From the American Museum of Natural History in New York City... And beaming out across all of space and time, this is Star Talk, where science and pop culture collide. This is Star Talk. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. I serve as the director of New York City's Hayden Planetarium right here in New York City, and we are in my office. Ooh. Ooh. I've got with me Charles Liu, friend and colleague and geek expertise is what he carries. <laughs> and Chuck Nice, as That's always. Right. That's right. This is Cosmic Queries, the science of pop fiction, the sequel. <laughs> we had so many questions, and, and Char Charles and I took so long answering them damn questions <laughs> that we had to spill into an entire other display there you go. of these questions and answers. Right. So, so let's just is, get right in it. This is pop fiction, science of pop fiction, Infinity Wars. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. Last one was Infinity War. This one is Endgame. Oh, Endgame. Would you get right. your sequels straight? <laughs> I really need to get my sequels straight. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right, Charles, what do you have? All right, Chuck. here we go. Here we go. Okay, here we go. Camilo Orozco from Facebook says, do you think science fiction can influence real science in the development of groundbreaking technologies? All the time. Or, or, or is it that the groundbreaking technologies are actually informing the science fiction? Vice versa. They're all the same. I, I, I differ. I, You'd really you disagree. And I won't even beg to differ. I'm just differing. Just uh, feel free. I'm not even begging. <laughs> I absolutely think that fiction informs science. No, you're wrong. And and let me tell you why I am convinced of this. Let okay. me tell you why you're wrong first. No, no, no. Let him, no, let him, <laughs> no, no. This is great. No, this is... Chuck, who do you want to hear first? Can I tell him why he's wrong before he says yes. anything? Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, wow, that's interesting. Yeah. That's because he's saying he already knows what you're going to say. <laughs> He's basically saying, I know what you're going to say. I've already been there. Faster than light communication. Hold on. See? Okay. Ready? All right. Go ahead. All right. Go ahead. There is no doubt that the creativity of science fiction authors and their imagination of a future has influenced 
the look, feel, and design of technology. Okay. But it is very hard for you to find a case where the fiction has triggered some spark in a scientist's mind and they make a scientific discovery because of it. You can probably come up with one or two at most examples of that. But the influence of technology, of, of imagined technology on real technology, no end of that, and I'm with you there. Okay. Now, let me hear you. All right. Mm. I had the pleasure of speaking with Ray Bradbury once. Mm -hmm. This is almost 15 years ago, I think. It was on a radio show. He was the featured guest, and I was fortunate enough to be on there with him for a few seconds. Mm -hmm. What and, radio show was it? Uh, this was uh, one of the daytime talk shows. I don't even remember which okay. one it is mm -hmm. anymore. NPR, was it? Uh, it was not involved with a, with a major. It was a, a different thing. It had to do with the fact that Mars... I'm I just think, wondering how often you get to just hang out with Ray Bradbury. I'm, well, I'm trying to get to the bottom <laughs> yeah. of this. Well, I was just with, it, hanging out with it was, Ray Bradbury. It was a one-shot deal. It was a tremendous pleasure, mm -hmm. and, and, and I treasured that those few minutes, you know, for that moment. But basically he was on because we were about to land a, a new rover on onto Mars at that time. And he wrote heavily about and he Mars. He wrote heavily his, about in Mars. In fact, the Martian Chronicles, uh, you know, by Ray Bradbury are some of the most important ones. And we had a conversation about how fiction informs the scientific process and the scientific process informs fiction. And he said absolutely what you said, first of all, right? That he was inspired to write money, much of the Martian Chronicles based on the scientific discoveries or the purported discoveries mm -hmm. of people like Percival Lowell and things like that, mm -hmm. uh, the canals and so on. But then he went on to talk a little bit about how many letters he had received over the years where they were, they were space scientists, they were planetary scientists, they were um, other kinds of science-based people who said, your Martian Chronicles inspired me to make this discovery or inspired me to look into that and do that. And he didn't give me specific examples, but the point is, <laughs> I believe that that has some examples here, Charles. I, I will give you one specific example. Oh, no, by, by, the way, by the way, of course, mm -hmm. science fiction can trigger you to want to become a scientist. Well, sure. That's fine. That has value. Right. Yes. But don't tell me the actual discovery that, itself. An actual right? discovery. I don't. I don't okay. see Jules that. Jules Verne, Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the Nautilus, mm -hmm. right? Is this wonderful submarine, right? Mm -hmm. And the submarine, and we named the first nuclear, nuclear sub, submarine, the Nautilus, the Nautilus, which is, I think, on display in Connecticut. I think. Oh, yeah. I think it's mothballed, but I think it's a museum. Okay, I think. in okay. in Groton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. with the naval base. Right. Uh, what happened was that. Jules Verne didn't know nuclear power, of course, but he did know. He said, how is this wonderful submarine powered? And Captain Nemo, Nemo, Nemo. right, tells the um, scientist who he uh, rescues because he torpedoed their ship, right, um, how this happens. This is harnessing the power of nature itself, you know, uh, how matter and energy can, can combine to propel the ship forward. He had no idea about nuclear power and yet a century later we had nuclear submarines named the nautilus going around right so and ask anyone who discovered nukes from marie curie through einstein through the manhattan project oh here it comes did you discover these nukes because you read, read twenty thousand leagues under, under the, the sea gonna be no but i'm what, sorry but what they discovered what they was, influenced is we named the, the, no. the, the ship after them we named the first space shuttle the enterprise after well, it didn't go into no. orbit but it, it it didn't go into orbit but the first uh -huh. mock-up space shuttle was named the enterprise but there are many ships named enterprise before star trek was called but, enterprise but the enterprise 
Space Shuttle. Space Shuttle was named after the Star Trek Enterprise. I believe you. Uh, my, what I'm saying is... You know how I know that? Because we have it on display here in New York. And when it came <laughs> in, right. on piggybacked the on the 747... And Captain Spock was standing on the... No. <laughs> I was there at JFK when it... First, it did a double flyby. It was showing off. Nice. It was. It was like, hey, yeah, look they what did. I got on my back here. Right. Okay? And then it landed. And then we had a whole ceremony, and, and Leonard Nimoy was there. Wow. Yeah. Good for That's that. My, my only time I met him. He died a couple of years later. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so, so Charles, what I'm saying I think is you're stretching here. I do not think so. I believe that Chuck, the people who put a jury, nuclear judge, uh, you know, here's the thing. Uh, I would say that for most of what we see now in science fiction, the technology is informing what is on the screen because they get to take it to the next level. The next level. Right. So right. it's like... Well, there's, uh, there's a symbiosis, for yeah, sure. Right. Like, for example, in the, in the movie Prometheus, mm -hmm. very interesting pocket technologies they had. Right. They had little, um, little birdie things that they tossed into a cave, and they flew right. and took a... Uh, they they scanned uh, scan, the whole cave. Scanned the entire cave right. in three dimension. It comes back. And it's basically a drone. It's, it's basically mini drones that yeah, came little, out of their pockets. Yeah. So little things like that. They had an automatic surgery... Vet, um, uh, pod, mm -hmm. where you'd go in and program what you wanted the surgery to be, and it mm -hmm. would conduct the surgery uh, autonomously. So yeah, they, you take what so, you know is yeah. possible. But to then the next you look level. at something like a ray gun, which I mean, you can go all the way back to Buck Rogers, right? right? Uh, and and they had ray guns, and right now the military is working on the ray gun. the equivalent of what would be a ray gun. So, uh, so I don't know. I mean, it, it seems That's to go both ways. Technology. We're not inventing new science for that. That's okay, my point. Well, no, okay. Well, no. That's my only point. So if your point is There's about no, no, new scientific principle, if you're talking, if you're talking about scientific breakthrough, then I'm going to say yes. You're right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. You're, you're not going to find scientific breakthrough that is informed or 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 inspired generally by, not. by science fiction and literature. The closest we get to this, I think, is Kip Thorne speaking of the development of the wormhole mm -hmm. in Contact, mm. in the movie Contact, because he said he was approached by Carl Sagan, and he said, how can we justify this scientifically? And then Kip Thorne went and did a calculation, added some extra physics that was not known before to wormhole calculations, and then there he actually published a paper inspired by Carl Sagan trying to get this science right in the movie Contact. Wow. So that is rare, though. That's all I'm but saying. But it exists. I didn't say it didn't exist. No, yes, you did. Next question. It didn't exist. No, right. I did. I say it didn't exist. I Go back to the videotape. Listen, here's the thing. We have it recorded. <laughs> so whatever. I'd rather you, just fight about it. Either one of you said it's on record. I'd rather we just fight about what we might have said. All right. Next question. All right. Question. That Go. was a fascinating discussion. Right. I don't care if we ever got to anything or not. But... <laughs> All, right, All right. Here we go. Let's go with uh, Henry T. Sixty-five, sixty-five from Instagram. He says this: How much stronger is vibranium than the strongest metal we have? <laughs> oh, sorry. Okay. But that Ooh. is a, that's a little okay. crazy. But then again. That it, there's like, there's some more. Is it strong enough to stop bullets point blank? Also, and here's a better question. Sorry, sorry, Henry, but it is. Also, is there anything close to the powers of a Black Panther suit that can, in fact, absorb energy and redistribute it or use that energy as a weapon? Okay, now, I like that. That's, now good. that's a good question. So energy, you can move energy from one form to another. Right. No problem there. If you had a way to absorb the energy of a bullet in a usable way a second time, that's a very realistic future scenario for armor. 
Mm-hmm. Would you agree, Charles? Yes, I would. I would right oh, we now. Agree. Let the record show. <laughs> <laughs> we agree on most things. Yeah, actually, it is true. We do agree on most okay. things. Okay, let, let me give the example of people who can uh, wear those suits that look like old armor, like big time, very heavy metal Night armor. jacket. Not mm-hmm. armor. And then they get shot by like a Van de Graaff generator, big lightning bolts and mm-hmm. so forth. And because it is acts like a Faraday cage, the people inside are unharmed. Right, so mm-hmm. you can, for example, protect yourself against a lightning bolt gun or something like that, mm-hmm. a, a lightning bolt weapon, by wearing basically a fully um, encapsulating you kind of chainmail. Mm. Right, so it just has to be able to conduct electricity. Right. And if you are covered in something that conducts electricity, the electricity cannot get inside you. Right. Right. So, it gets stuck on the outer side. Right. It's a right. fascinating reality that right. discovered by Michael Faraday yes. 150 called, years yeah. ago. Called this. Because when you get struck by lightning, the, you are the conductor. That's the well, problem. Well, that's why you're basically that's safe the, in a car that gets hit. Exactly. The car is a shell. Right. It's a metal Unless shell. the car is made of fiberglass. Unless it's fiberglass, and then you're, oh. you're toast. <laughs> <laughs> well, so anybody who gets struck by lightning in a Corvette... <laughs> Or, just, or if it's a, a convertible, then it, right. yeah, that doesn't help you. Doesn't, too help, doesn't help you at all. Okay. But, but you see, I could imagine a circumstance where, in addition to the metallic conducting suit, built in are many, many, many high efficiency capacitors. Capacitors, capacitors. right? Mm-hmm. Where we wind up being able to store that energy in a quick way, electrically, right? Mm-hmm. But now, then, you need the technology to take it from the capacitors, which are essentially batteries, right? into a new generator and then be able to channel it back out as a lightning bolt. Right. So there's some technology barriers there. And you, you lose energy in every transformation every of energy. So, and right. then your suit's going to get really hot. Right. See, so the, the temperature thing, yeah. is bad. So you need air conditioning. And, and then you have to have like a, no, wait, wait, wait. a super why, nuclear power thing. If you can put the electricity and, in a capacitor, why would you get hot? The, the capacitor because you're storing the, the energy now. The loss of the energy as you're turning it back into oh, a light. Oh, oh, sorry, yeah. okay. Yeah. So in the changing of the energy. In the energy, changing of the energy, you're, you're getting yeah. heat. You're getting, right. uh, yeah. But you can store energy with no heat. And this would chemical. Uh, right. a, a gallon of gasoline right. is, is room temperature, right. Right. but you can blow up the room, right? right? So you can store energy chemically, yeah. for example. The issue is the time. Can you turn it around, right? So mm-hmm. in, in Black Panther, the movie, not the comic book, by the way, which has a different Excuse definition me. of vibranium. I mean, it's like, I'm sorry, that's it's the true. Same, that's the comic book version. I've read the book. First. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Black Panther character. Isn't it? That's it right. Is. Well, They're just showing right. off. And it's like, it, it's like your, your argument is invalid because you didn't read the comic book. In the actual storyline. Actual storyline. Right. One of my prized comic books in my collection is the July 1966 issue of Fantastic Four number 52, the debut of the character, the Black Panther. You own that? Yes. Wow. It's it's an old beat up copy, so it's not really worth anything. Uh, like okay, so give eBay. it away. <laughs> but it's a, but it's a it's a great value. It's really really interesting. And and to sort of take a look, half a century ago, at what Stan Lee and Jack Kirby envisioned this amazing city and this amazing technology to be. So vibranium in the real. I'm sorry, it is. The real canon of Black Panther is not a hard metal. It's not the hardest metal known, but it has a very unique property where it can absorb any impact. So the hardest metal in the Marvel comic universe is adamantium, which is this invented uh, alloy. 
right? But Captain America's first shield had vibranium and adamantium together in an alloy, which adamantium made it even it, more the powerful. Claws of, the claws of uh, the Wolverine. Of Wolverine. Wolverine. Right. right. And so his shield was better because it had a combination of vibranium and adamantium. So it could absorb impact and be hard as a as a striking weapon. Okay. See, nice. So yeah. that's what That's right. Need. By the way, the interesting properties of something is never only is it how hard it is. That's right. It's does how does it distribute energy? So, is it flexible mm -hmm. and not break? Mm -hmm. Does it is it light right. for right. how strong it is? Right. All of this matters. Right. So this is why I was very glad that Vibranium was really only a small piece of the overall plot of the movie Black Panther. It's a great, great movie, and the technology and the and the pseudoscience. Was the whole only movie began with this theft at a museum. Based on well, the point was that the vibranium was only a plot device. Gotcha. The Fine. plot Agreed. itself plot transcended the technology and Good. the superheroism, right? Yeah. Which okay. is what made that movie so great, in my opinion. Good. So, in that case, right? Can you have something that distributes energy? So, Kevlar, yes. for example, yes, for example, absorbs energy, mm -hmm. but it's not metal, right? Yeah. right? And and it's in bulletproof vests. Have you ever seen Kevlar get hit by a bullet in slow motion? No. Just so watch, so watch. So the bullet hits it. Right, and then waves get set up in the fabric, Wonderful. and it sends, sends the energy it. and distributes it, disperses it, disperses right. it. Right, so it still gets hurt. Yeah. You you still hurt when right. you get hit with a bullet. Right, but the bullet doesn't the enter your penetrate. body. Right. Right. right, right. It could even break a rib, but it doesn't go inside you right. and mess up and, your organs. And therein lies the problem with a hard metal like vibranium. If it's bulletproof, yes, but the energy of the bullet slug still transmits through the metal into your body to right. some extent. Mm -hmm. So. That distribution of energy is what's necessary. Now, can we, like in the same way as we did with the electromagnetic pulse, mm -hmm. right, uh, allow the grab or the capture of that kinetic energy to be redirected outward mm -hmm. as a as a punch or as a as a, a force thing? That technology does not exist. Does not exist yet. yet. Wow. God. Okay. Cool. Well, that was that was a lot, man. That was a mm -hmm, lot. Mm -hmm. That's great. Okay. Uh, I think. Oh, we one all... other thing, just about distributing energy. Yes. Have you ever put on football gear? Yes. Oh, you have. Okay. So the shoulder pads. Right. If you looked, at, they're like layered in these sort of slats. Yes. Right. Have you ever just hit? Just get somebody to hit you on the shoulder. Yeah. You barely know you got touched. Right. Yeah. It completely well, distributes across the entire chest The area, chest plate and everything. The chest plate and everything. So it's really about d spreading out the energy so that the literal and figurative impact on you um, is diminished at any single spot where it takes place. At least okay. on your shoulder. At least on your shoulder. Yeah. Um, but your kneecaps are still exposed. <laughs> yes. Uh, Chuck, another question. Here we go. Uh, Daniel J. Saltzman from Instagram says, if you could pick one superhero that Neil would be, who would you choose? <laughs> oh, we got to go with commercial break. <laughs> oh, of course, of course. All right, we'll be back with Star Talk. We're, it's a Cosmic Queries sequel to the science of pop fiction when Star Talk returns. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% 
of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx ground is faster to more locations than UPS ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any of you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Hey, remember when we did that show about the science of the golf swing? Well, let's take that to the next level. And that's because PXG has developed the Black Ops driver so golfers don't have to sacrifice distance for forgiveness. And the science proves it. PXG Black Ops driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering, unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Ops drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. Now that's ridiculously high. The higher the MOI, the more forgiving the club will play. So you don't have to square the ball perfectly for it to go straight and get distance. Add PXG's new advanced material face technology and you get incredible ball speed that pushes the distance to the absolute limits. More forgiveness, more distance, no sacrifices. PXG Black Ops Driver. Hit your tee shot straighter and farther. The proof is in the science. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment. Go to pxg.com slash startalk and use code startalk at checkout. That's pxg.com slash startalk. Use code startalk for free shipping on all equipment. pxg.com slash startalk. Code startalk. This is startalk. Back on Star Talk, Cosmic Queries, the science of pop fiction. And I know a little bit, but you know who knows a lot is Charles Liu. <laughs> Charles, a resident deacon chief. Glad to be here. Glad Thank to you. have you on this. Chuck. Yes. Uh, you're reading questions to us. Yes, I am. What do am. you have? So, and just remind right, you, this is a spillover from a whole other show. Yes, it is. Questions we didn't get to. Okay. Right. What do you this have? This is uh, pop fiction. Endgame, uh, <laughs> as, Chuck, as Chuck Lou said in the beginning uh -huh. of the show. Uh, Daniel J. Saltzman from Instagram said, Hey, Chuck, if you could pick one superhero that Neil would be, who would you choose? Ooh. So I'll let Charles okay. Lou go first. Batrock the Leaper. Batrock the Leaper? Yes. Batrock the Leaper. Is okay. That, is that even real? Yes. Is one of Captain America's we'll great yes enemies. in a high pitch, like 
Idiot. Yes. <laughs> okay, no, so what? Yes. <laughs> when, who and when was okay. that? Okay. Bat Rock the Leaper is essentially a terrorist who uh, oh, was, was really, thank really you. good at uh, Savat, which is the French style of martial arts where you kick people a lot. I, I have very good leg agility. That's right. That's exactly why I thought about that. Oh, really? Okay. Now, as good. it turns out, the character Batrock the Leaper does show up as a villain in the first Captain America movie or the second Captain America movie. Mm-hmm. Either uh, it was the original, like the first Avenger or uh, the Winter Soldier. I can't remember exactly which one. Mm-hmm. But um, Captain you, America. Yeah, in mm-hmm. the Captain America movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And, and they completely changed the character, of course. But the bottom line is, yes, you would be the heroic version of Batrock the Leaper because your legs just, you know, remind me of like someone who would just go in and just clean house with one roundhouse after another. With a roundhouse kick. Nice. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you. Batrock yeah. the Leaper. Batrock the Leaper. Thank you. So I'm going to make you a world-crushing Hulk. But <laughs> So world-crushing Hulk is actually Banner and Hulk at the same time. So Banner is still like, he's still smart as hell. Okay. He's like super smart like Banner, but he's like crazy strong like the Hulk. But At the same time. At the same time. And, but I'm going to give you- So he's an articulate Hulk. He's an articulate Hulk, (laughs) right. And it's not like- He wears glasses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's actually wearing glasses. But but can I have my own skin tone? I don't want to be green. Well, I was about to say, but with one uh, caveat, you're going to be black and they're going to call you the bloke. So, the, bloke. the Black Hulk, the yes. bloke, the bloke. You'll be the bloke, right? And then when and and your thing is like, right before, right before you get ready to throw down, you like, yo, back up off me, sucker, like right. And then that that lets them know like you're about to like crush. Oh, so Hulk okay. goes Hulk smash. Okay, and I and say, bloke goes back off off me, sucker. Okay, <laughs> and anybody who says that, you know, to not to just That's go right. the opposite direction. Right. So most fights, I wouldn't even have to have. No, exactly, because they're like, "Oh, yo, he about to go world crushing <laughs> on us," right? So, okay, I'll be the bloke. <laughs> All right. <laughs> there you go. All right. So let's move on. This is um, M Jim Four from Instagram. Wow. Okay. Hey guys, longtime follower and fan here. I'm curious right now about photon energy and how it reacts with the human body. Captain oh, Marvel wow. can create an immense photon blast from her body. How much power would it take to cause serious damage from a photon blast? Ooh, Can the human oh, body harness photon energy for themselves? Okay, ah. his, his, his name is Matt Martin from uh, uh, British Columbia. Okay, right. so I got. A, I have a cool beginning to that answer. Chuckle, Charles will probably come in on this. Okay. So a couple of things. Photon is any a carrier of light energy, and light can be any wavelength. You have radio waves. Uh, we call them waves, but they're fo- radio photons. Right. Radio waves, uh, um, let's go in order. So radio waves, microwaves, infrared, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, violet, Roy G. Biv, that's the visible part of the spectrum. You go beyond the violet, you are ultraviolet, X-rays, gamma rays. This is the, all the words we have available to us to describe the breadth of the spectrum. Okay. okay. Some of these photons go pat- right through you. Radio waves pass right through you. Mm-hmm. Microwaves mostly pass right through you. So the idea that you would capture, what effect do they have on you? None, because they pass right through you. Right. Okay. So now we got to talk about the ones that would have an effect on you. So visible light reflects off of you. Okay. So depending on how light your skin is. Right. Okay. If you're really, really pale, you reflect most of it. Right. If you have and if you're Miles skin, Davis, nobody can see you. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Where'd that come from? 
Damn, Wesley Chuck. Snipes, invisible. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you can, um, so you will either reflect or absorb the the, the light the, energy. Right. You get on to ultraviolet. Now it has penetrating powers into your skin. Right. And ultraviolet goes down to the dermis. That's how you, you get sunburn. You get sunburn and skin cancer. That's correct. And you go to X-rays. X-rays. Right. And we, we all know those right. go through you. But right. they're absorbed in your denser material, your bones. Mm -hmm. That's why they show up. So something gets absorbed. So you can also get cancer from too much X-ray exposure. Right onto gamma rays, which together class turn you... Into the Hulk. Hulk. Into the Hulk. Right. Or the okay. bloke. <laughs> the bloke. The bloke? The bloke. Bloke. I thought it was the bloke. Right. It, could the be bloke. Bulk. it could be bulk. It should just be bulk. I thought it was bloke, but no. no. Hey, bloke. Bloke. Yay. So, so what you'd you would need ways to capture the photons that might otherwise bounce off of you or, or go through you. And in our field, astrophysics, we exist entirely to create detectors that capture these photons. Mm. Radio waves, x-rays, gamma rays, visible, infrared, ultraviolet. That is what we do. That is all we do, is find ways to capture these photons. Well, we get meteorites too. Okay, so then, now you want to capture them and use them again? Or how much damage would they cause? You need a lot of them. Right. And we can we have lasers for this. Lasers amplify photonic energy. And what you ask is, how much energy does it take to bore a hole in you? Give me a laser with that much energy where you absorb that and it'll bore a hole in you. You wow. can just do a simple energy calculation. Right. That's it. That's it. So, uh, Chuck, this it's like a bajillion photons. You need uh, a lot of photons. You need a lot of photons. Uh, a typical because, photon. for example, if you walk into a dark room and turn on the light, right? You don't say, "Oh, that bold look deal. at all those photons!" <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh, you know they're knocking me down. I can't take these photons. <laughs> <laughs> um, Astronomers and physicists use a unit of energy called the electron volt. It's actually energy, even really though it has the word there. electron okay, in it. Okay, go ahead. Go Might ahead. as well. Go ahead. A typical photon of visible light, like the stuff coming from lamps, from lamps in your okay. room, is a few electron volts per photon. Okay. okay. But it requires literally a trillion such photons to get the total amount of energy that a flea uses to hop from one place to another. So you need many, many more trillions of such photons to be focused in such a way to, to even affect you even more than just like a bright ray of sunshine. What scientists created a system of measurement? <laughs> in units of flea jumps? In units of <laughs> flea jumps. They're actually one, and why? It's actually a trillionth of a flea jump if you think about it. That's kind of One crazy. photon. Yeah, yeah one, one photon. photon. Is a a trillion, about a trillion. Uh, one vi of a visible light. Right. One visible yeah. light photon. But gamma ray photons, okay. sometimes... Each one has way more energy than a visible light right. photon. In fact, the, the most powerful gamma ray photons that we've ever detected mm -hmm. have almost as much energy as a baseball. A thrown baseball. Yeah, if you throw yeah. a baseball... Okay, uh, here's wait, how I've heard about it. Here's wait how a minute, that's a single it. photon? Uh, it's a cosmic ray. It's basically yeah. a charged particle right. that has so much energy because it's going to accelerate it, beyond the, actually, the speed of light. You can um, execute a golf putt. Ah, that's another good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. So these individual particles are extremely penetrative. They literally go right through the earth. Mm -hmm. And all along the way, they're bashing all kinds of atoms and molecules and things like that. And those kinds of particles are the kind that supposedly create the mutations in Homo superior that give us the X-Men. Aha. So oh, in, I didn't know yeah, that. So well, X-Men are Homo superior? 
the, that's what that's they call themselves. I didn't know that. Because they are evolved. Or they're, the they next, they're the different. next. <laughs> <laughs> Nowadays we say that. I don't right? go value judge that <laughs> yeah. flames come out of your eyeballs. Right. I'm just going to call you different. Well, you and I agree with that. Okay. But back at the time in the in the comic books, okay, when this the guy's first such a comic book snob. I am. I'm sorry, but it's true. Uh, back when the original comic, the X Men, came out in the 1960s. Charles Xavier said, you the, children. The, yeah, the, the illustrator, Professor the, the X. Oh, Professor oh sorry, X, Xavier, right. of course, of course. Stan Lee and Jack Kirby helped mm-hmm. create these yes. characters. But the, the, the Charles Xavier You're talking tells, about um, uh, Jean-Luc Picard. Yes, right. But that time, yeah. A similar bald individual. Uh, tells his X-Men, right, which at that time were the Beast, Marvel, Girl, and Cyclops, and the Angel. Say, you are homo superior, and you have to help all of humanity because you are superior to the others because of your mutations. And the first villain they fight is Magneto, who is also a villain, right? Okay. And so the, the- But how do you get the gamma ray reference in that? The gamma ray created them. Created them create these because yes, okay. The, okay. the energy Fine. came through and-, and Yeah, exactly. so uh, to, to kill with light is a very hard thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, lasers, oh. even powerful lasers are are, you know, you need the, the weight of the laser that could do damage to you as a weapon mm-hmm. is huge. Right. It's not, it's yep. not. And the Fantastic Four was created because they were bombarded by cosmic rays. You know they were not mutants, but then they were mutated by this. Kind okay, of so radiation. the military, of course, as others do, have non lethal weapons. Right. That for crowd control. Right. And one of them is a microwave yes. beam. And so gets you real hot. Yeah. So what happens is there's a crowd developing, and you don't you want to disperse the crowd. You say, "Please disperse," and then they get angrier. You just whip out the microwave and put a microwave beam in there, and it penetrates into the dermis. It heats it up, and they want to escape the beam. They run, and and they run. But it's not the microwaves that are hurting them. It's the microwaves causing the heat, uh, causing the water molecules. It's because you absorb the microwave. And right. that turned into heat. That's you. So you're responding to the heat. You're right. responding to the heat. Right. So, right. so could you just? It's, hold it's, up, it's a technicality, but it's a very just, important right. distinction. Could you just hold up a burrito? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You could, nice right in right. front of you. Right in front yeah. of you. Yeah, yeah. No, so wait, right here first. Right yeah, down here first. Exactly. And then everywhere else. I'm a burrito. That's true. <laughs> no, that would work. But uh, so the the bottom line to the question is that using photonic energy to blast people. It would require a huge Ooh. amount. All right, all right. That was good. That was good. All right, here's um, another one. This is Kevin okay. Kevin Kalikimaka, who says, what kind of star system would create the differences in the length of seasons throughout the history of Game of Thrones? Oh. Problem is, of course, the Game of Thrones seasons change widely. Right. right? That's in, okay. You can, you can in, do that. Entire generations can go by. But not only that, it's also unpredictable. Right? You can't say, oh, well, the, you, we can see the seasons growing longer, the winters growing longer, and then they grow shorter, and then they grow longer in predictable periods. And so there has to be something that's injecting some chaotic or stochastic process into the thing. But we've got chaotic systems right. in the universe. So my hypothesis is the solar system in which the Game of Thrones planet must exist has other like rogue planets and moons and so forth that are going in such crazy things that it will cause the orbit and the orbital tilt of the these uh, of that planet. Right. If you just right. have to two bodies, a planet a and a star, it's just going to have an orbit. Right. You have an orbit. And, and like Char- Charles is saying, if you throw in some other interesting objects that have rival strengths of gravity that the planet has, mm-hmm. then you can tug on the planet in interesting ways right. chaotically right. and therefore put into effect 
a, a non-periodic exactly correct. set of so, seasons. So our seasons on Earth are caused because our Earth is spinning as it's tilted, right. right? So you can imagine that one of these chaotic items comes by and then causes a tilt to go just a little bit further. Mm -hmm. That just increases your winter by decades, right? right? Mm -hmm. But then is, another one comes by later and tilts it back a little bit right. and causes that summer to be uh, uh, much longer as a result. You gotcha. know, things like that. So you can really... Like now, the Malankovitz. Yeah, yeah. So, sorry. The Malankovitz. Malankovitz. Right. So you would have to be in such a way that you're only affecting the tilt because if you start affecting the orbit as well, mm -hmm. then the distance to the host star changes yes. and that would be manifest in the storytelling. Right. And it's not. You would totally okay. see that. Right. Okay. Right. So, so it's a tilt issue, I'm right. pretty sure. So it's really just the tilt of the planet. Right. And that it would, would have, have to be if you want to affect right. the seasons. But there would have to be some erratic other, there would have to be other erratic bodies that are affecting the, the... Which is the, not hard. When right. A three-body system is chaotic. Okay, there you go. Two, two body two is bodies deterministic, is, three bodies is chaotic. For you this, go. you're going to need five or six. Five or six yeah. bodies. Mm -hmm. So, Neil, um, looking on the internet, this is something that's about, that's going viral. Ant-Man will kill Thanos by going into his butt <laughs> and then expanding so that he explodes from the inside out. Back oh. to the normal size. <laughs> right, right. Or he could be a giant now, so he could, exp he could actually expand to... Okay, first... Wow. First... That's nasty. <laughs> because if Thanos is as powerful and as evil as he is, right. he's going to have powerful evil poop. Okay, <laughs> so I would not want to find myself in that environment. Right. But Whoa. second, I, I wouldn't think. Second, why not put something else in there right. that expands? Right. Why does it have to be your own self? I bet you Thanos has quantum butt armor that would prevent that from happening. Yeah. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> Just say it. Just say it. Quantum... Quantum butt protectors. <laughs> Quantum butt panels. I, I, I don't know. I'm just saying, if you just want to go in and expand and kill them, right. you don't have to be the person to do that. And Send some other quantum thing in there to do right, it. Right, to do it. By the way, uh, you can look at Thanos. You know he does Kegels. So, <laughs> tighten up my butt cheeks. I'll kill you. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> you are imitating Eddie Murphy. Imitating... There you go. Um, um, Mr. Mr. T. <laughs> Eddie Murphy's that's, movie. It's very, very good. That's exactly it. Buzz Time for man. one last question in this segment. Oh, my God. And I'm... then I got to go. I'm going to leave no. Chuck. Chuck, I got to leave you with Charles for the oh third and gosh. final segment. Oh, my God. Whoa. Yeah, I got places to go, people to see. Parents are leaving. Party. <laughs> Party. I okay. want you on your best behavior. Oh, my okay. gosh. Last question. Go. All right, last, last question. Okay. Um, this is Adler's. Last question that I can help Charles, even though he doesn't need my help. Oh. But I can pretend I can help him. Okay, I go. I need your this help. This is Adler Sai. How can pop fiction make science more comprehensible? to the audience. I like that. Ooh, now, this man is thinking about the good of all I, with respect to pop fiction okay, and science. Okay, here's my answer. I want to hear your answer, too, because we're okay. both uh, scientists, but also educators, mm -hmm. and we care about mm -hmm. uh, imparting knowledge, wisdom, yep. insight into an audience that is science-based. Science mm -hmm. So, for me, it's you can't require of a story to teach science. I think it can get pedantic and no one's gonna read it. But what you can do is tell a story that's so compelling regarding some scientific idea mm -hmm. that when you come out of that, you say, I wanna learn more about that idea and you become a self-starter, self-learner because you just have to learn more. Mm, and for me, that is the best kind of pop culture scientific force that you can invoke. Charles. I have two sides of that same coin you described. Mm -hmm. First, I do believe you can have 
real legitimate science presented in a movie. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can do that, but what you do is you show what real science does and in real ways. But then the second part is you have to be able to distinguish between what is actual known science and what is science fiction. If you can tell or communicate to audiences, real science does this, and this is, now we're going to the quantum realm, which is fake science, or, or highly speculative, then people can tell the difference between what is scientific but and non-scientific. you're not going to make a movie where we say, okay, here we're making stuff up. You, why not? In the previous 10 minutes, we weren't. Actually, you can do that. And in fact, there are some movies who have done that very well. Such as? Uh, well, um, See, none. Some of <laughs> That's not right. Why don't we talk about that some other time? Oh, you can talk about it after I leave. You're gonna find out. <laughs> we got to end this segment, but I, I'm I got to run. But I will leave you in really, really good hands with my friend and colleague oh. Charles Liu, oh. and he's got his co-host Chuck Nice. Do you want to set up your child for success? Of course you do. Maybe you want to save money on private tutoring, or maybe it's just out of your budget altogether. Is this a big school year for your child? Like maybe they're starting kindergarten, middle school, or high school, or some other milestone. Maybe your family moved and they're starting at a new school. Is your child ahead? Not getting challenged enough in class? Well, we love that little smarty, but we want them to be engaged. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or the personality. There's one site for all the kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids can use it at home on the computer or on the go through the app on your phone or your tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything itself. And no more trying to figure out how to explain math equations or grammar rules yourself. IXL has built-in explanation videos. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And Star Talk Radio listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash Star Talk. Visit IXL.com slash Star Talk to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hey, we'd like to give a big Star Talk shout-out to the following Patreon patrons who help us as we make our journey through the cosmos. Adam Jacoby, James Isham, 
and Patrick Cooney. Thanks a lot, guys, for your support. And if I said your name wrong, how about some phonetic spelling, please? Unlocking the secrets of your world and everything orbiting around it. This is Star Talk. Welcome back to Star Talk. I'm Charles Liu. Uh, you can call me Chuck if you'd like. And I am sitting in, filling in as a guest host for this brief segment uh, for the wonderful Neil deGrasse Tyson. And with me, of course, is Chuck Nice. Hello. That's right. Uh, always a pleasure to work with you. Yeah, and now we can have some fun. Neil's right. gone. <laughs> okay, we are wrapping up our episode of... Pop. The sequel yeah. of Pop Fiction. That's right. right. Pop Cosmic Queries. Pop Fiction Cosmic right. Queries. Let's do it. Uh, um, here we go. This is this is Alex Atanasio wants okay. to know this from mm-hmm. Facebook. All right, Alex. Are time travel plot devices just lazy writing? Yes. Oh. <laughs> now come on now. No, they they come really on. are. Are you no, seriously? Come on, Chuck. Don't you think the time travel captures the imagination. It does. And it's very exciting. But the problem really is that you can do anything you want the moment you time travel, right? So it is lazy writing. Uh, Now, there are some exceptions where the time travel actually is core or key to the story. Mm -hmm. I think, for example, of The Terminator. Yes, Uh, absolutely. Where the whole point of the creation of the storyline comes from the travel time and everything gets knit in Everything's a paradox. Right. The whole thing's a paradox. But if you use time... It's well done. It's absolutely well done. But using time travel to say, oh, look, they've destroyed everything. And then, oh, we can repair everything. Right. That is lazy. We'll go back in time and repair. Right. Right. But, But you know what? If you don't take it too seriously, you're okay. So, for example, there is a TV show called DC Legends of Tomorrow. Okay. Uh, And they're like almost like an old-style, entertaining TV show where they don't take themselves too seriously. They do time travel, but they do silly things like unicorns ripping people's hearts out, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. Right. So, so by not taking themselves too seriously and doing these time travel anomalies in a lighthearted way, then it becomes part, again, sort of like Terminator, mm-hmm. but in a funny way, where it becomes part of the joy of the story as opposed to like, uh, just come on, man, you can do better than just flip everything back in time. All right, your favorite time travel anything. My favorite time travel anything. Anything time travel, that's Holy your favorite. Holy moly. I'll give you mine. Okay, go ahead. Mine? Homer Simpson and the Toaster. <laughs> <laughs> Homer Simpson and oh the Toaster, man. Oh, my gosh. You can't, yep. I'm sorry. It's that, that is a true classic. Yeah. Um, you know, I am again showing my sort of bias to the past and the classic, but I think the best time travel story has to be The Time Machine. H.G. Wells. H.G. Wells. H.G. Yeah, Wells. Because the way that he talks about both going into the, you know, the, the future and then to the end of the world and mm-hmm. things like that, mm-hmm. he's using that time travel as a way to imagine things as opposed to a plot device to fix things. Okay. Uh, I think that's a really, really great way to sort of put time travel on the proper map of things. Awesome. Um, I will also mention one more because this is pop fiction, right? Okay. Um, there is a time travel story in Star Trek Voyager. Yeah. Okay. Where the story isn't that important because, of course, the time travel, you know, gets all resolved by silly, goofy things and so on. So it comes back. But what happens is the timeline gets changed. And, of course, the Star Trek Voyager people save the timeline 
And then there's a person from the future who comes and says, you've saved the timeline, thank you. And so the captain, Catherine Janeway asks, by the way, you're from the future. Do you know whether or not we get back home safely in time? You know, safely, do we get back to earth? Right. And the future time traveler says, I'm sorry, I can't tell you that. That would violate the temporal prime directive. <laughs> and it was like the ultimate irony because always in Star Trek, they're always throwing around the prime directive. We right. can't give you this. We can't do this for you because it's the prime directive. Right. But now they are the victims They're the victim of a of prime, the prime directive. directive. I thought that that was a right. very nice way to sort of use the time travel lazy plot device as a sort of one way to squeeze in that little kind of uh, cool storytelling yeah, That is a cool piece. little storytelling yeah. uh, element. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I believe Janeway's answer to him was, what a dick. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably what she would have said. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. Right. Cool, 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 cool. Uh, Carrie Hoshin from Facebook wants to know this. Have any of you been asked to appear on or work with any of the current sci-fi movies or television shows? If 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 so, which one? Mm. Uh, and if not, which one would you want to yeah. make a cameo well, appearance? Now we know that we our know friend Neil, Neil does yes. a whole bunch of these bunch things. Of, yeah. So you know that the answer is yes. Just go on to IMDb or some other right. You'll see uh, all the thing. You'll all see the, all the things that he's done. Myriad right. of things he's now. Been on. What would you like to do, Chuck? What would you like to be on? What sci-fi TV show, movie, whatever would you like? Oh, to be? It, 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 there's only two. I really? Mean, it's only two, and it's and it's and I hope that. It can happen in some way before I die. Oh, uh, which ones? Uh, Star Trek uh -huh. and Star Wars. Ah, so <laughs> anything yep. in Star Wars and anything in Star Trek. Yeah, as long like, as I have a speaking line, I yeah, just want a like, speaking line. But but like a real role, like yeah, would you I like, want a role. Yeah, you want yeah. you want a role. Yeah, like would you play? Be, would you play Lando way, Calrissian, for oh example? God, would you, you play Han Solo? Me? Would oh, you, you play? Oh, you kidding? Princess Leia, you know. And now um, you just settled it for me. It's totally Leia. <laughs> and I'm Jabba the Hutt Leia, too. I'm wearing that little outfit. Oh, my god. I'm laying gosh. up on Jabba with that little uh, chain collar oh, around my please. neck. You uh, know? That's <laughs> so 1980. As soon as Hans comes in, I'm just like, Hans! <laughs> <laughs> that's so 80s. But it's true. It's true. Yeah. There's, there's some some attraction. But no, that. what I would... my my The other... The other stipulation I would make is that I would like very much to be me. I don't want to be in prosthetics. Ah, right. so you don't want to be painted. I don't want to be, okay. yeah, I don't want to be painted and I don't want to be an alien. I want to be me because I want to be able to say, <laughs> look, dude, that's me. <laughs> dude, I'm a Star Wars, that's me. Look, look. I would rather be painted, quite frankly. I do want to be an alien. And the reason I want to do it is because then I can be shown as someone who is not me. Right. The, the, the science fiction of it all is where you can really put aside the anchor to reality. And so I would like to play an alien with a significant role with two heads. Oh, cool. Okay. I don't know exactly what show would allow me to do that, but I would like to have some sort of CGI or makeup thing where I have two heads and I can talk at the same time right. with both heads. And then we can either sing together right. or talk to one another right. or otherwise interact in ways that people with one head ordinarily don't. Right, right now, up to now, sci-fi. Maybe one of your heads is your internal conversation. Oh, yeah, wouldn't that, that would be, be cool? that would be a comedic thing, whatever. I'd be like, yes, that would be wise. No, wouldn't you, dorkhead? <laughs> <laughs> right. right? Yeah, super cool. That's what I would like to see All myself right. doing someday. All right, cool, mm -hmm. cool, cool, mm -hmm. cool, man. All right, great question, yeah. Gary. Wonderful. All right, let's go with Marco Vitt who says, in several programs like The Flash, oh. they mention tachyons yes. or tachyon drives yes. in Star Trek. Yes. Uh, or they link them to time travel. Yes, they do. Um, although it's theoretical, yep. 
Could it possibly work and how would it work? Okay. Tachyons were invented uh, decades ago mm-hmm. uh, to try to think of ways that the universe could exist where you have faster than light travel. Okay. But tachyons are things that can only move faster than the speed of light. Right. Whereas with our regular They would matter, have to, in order to move to. faster right. than light, they would have to exist right. faster than they light. They could only exist faster. They could not slow down, for right. example, and become photons, which travel at the speed of light, or other particles in our universe, which always travel slower than the speed of light. In fact, this is one of the traumatic experiences of my youth. Well, it's not that bad. But what happened was that in high school, uh, there was a, a um, scientist, a, a an astrophysics uh, theoretical researcher mm-hmm. who came to our high school and gave an after-school talk. And we're talking about relativity and things like that. And, and then I actually raised my hand in the Q&A session and asked him, uh, do you think that the existence of tachyons, and he just said, they don't. No, oh, it's not happening. Damn. I'm like, oh, no, I've been crushed. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Well, I wasn't crushed, but he, he was just basically trying to say, shut that down right now right. because it is completely fictional, right? Wow. So in the sense that tachyons do travel faster than the speed of light. And, and you can try to think of it as a way to get through um, the time barrier or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Sure, go ahead and do it like fictionally. But you and I have already discussed in the past few minutes that we think, or at least I think, I hope you think, maybe you think too, that time travel is a lazy plot device, right? right? So we don't need those tachyons to travel in time. They're put in there so that the flash can go back and forth and do goofy things like flashpoint or, you know, change things or have right. have um, Aobard Thawne live like six or seven times, even though he gets killed eight or nine times, you know, goofy things like that. Yeah. So that's my opinion. Um, lay off the tachyons, lay folks. Off the tachyons. Lay off the tachyons. All right, cool. There yeah. you go. Mm-hmm. Hey, listen, that's a sobering thought, uh, but still fun to think oh, about when, the, you, when yeah. you consider them for the sci- possibility science fiction. Tremendous. Right. right. Imagine if you're having a science fiction environment where there are creatures that can only travel faster than the speed of light. Right. Their definition of time and causality are right. completely different from ours. Right. Absolutely. Right? And so we have a really neat dichotomy that is barrier. The barrier is indeed the speed of light. Right. Right. And so I think that would be a fun thing to explore in, in that aspect of things. So whether it's possible or not is is highly not, but whether it's a fun thing to play with and to think about, sure, definitely. Excellent. Absolutely. All right. This is Dustin Parmley. Mm. Dustin says this. Okay. Is there something you're just tired of seeing Hollywood get wrong? <laughs> something that they just can't seem to get right over and over oh, and over. Oh, no. Where can I start? P.S. My eight-year-old daughter and I love listening to you Oh, guys. wonderful. Wonderful. So, All right. wow. Chuck, I'm going to okay, let you what's, start. What's the thing? Is there a trope, a particular trope that you just hate and it happens over I, and over I, again? Yes. And there are numerous ones that I hate all the time. But I want to hear your ideas first. Because, okay. because you like live the tropes, right? <laughs> As a comedian thinking deeply about scientific issues, right, right? You are always wondering, what do people look at if you say something and they're like, oh, that's so true. Like, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. That, you have that insight. Talk to me. Um, for me, when it comes to science fiction, it's um, the fact that... Um, when superpowers are given, they're normally given by some catastrophic accident mm-hmm. that ends up creating ends up creating someone with these incredible powers. And like, if you really, if you just look at the laws of physics, 
catastrophic events are called catastrophic events for a reason, yeah. right? It's yeah. it's very unlikely that anything good would ever come out. So, like, a blast of radiation, that's the one that I hate the yeah. most. Yeah. Radiation. Radiation is never going to lead to anything no. good for human beings. Yeah. That's yeah. all there is yeah. to it. Yeah. So, you will die. Yeah, you're yeah, going to die. That's, that's the end of it. Uh-huh. Right, you're right. going to die. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, that, but that's the one I hate the most, mm-hmm. is that somehow we take radiation and it turns into superpowers. You yeah. Know. Yep. I, I, that's a, that's one of my ones that I don't like either. Okay. But, good. but uh, I think you've expressed it much better than I could have. <laughs> uh, I think I will just uh, give one trope, which I think is so stupid. Go ahead. Okay. It's the damsel in distress. Oh, good that one. The hero has to come and save because, oh, the person is so helpless. Right. The superheroes must be the ones to save them. That bothers the crap out of me. Okay. You know, I just can't. Um, and these days, you know, there was a Spider-Man that tried to deal with that. Yeah. Uh, which Spider-Man movie? I forget which one. But anyway, the whole idea was like all of New York kind of rises up along with Spider-Man because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the idea is like we're all in this. That's right. You know, That's right. We're, okay, right. So. The, the rest of us sit around and, and like, oh, we're just so helpless, and you have to have this hero to come in. I like stories when the hero or the heroism, heroism, is part of the story writing as opposed to the overall like the 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 whole point, right? right. This creature is created and now they they're here to save the world cool anyway so i want to thank everybody for listening to us today i think we're going to wrap up chuck what a pleasure to hang out with you and to do this are you kidding me it's always okay and now you have to channel neil for a second neil it was great to be with you earlier in this episode charles i am always honored to be in your presence (laughs) well done sir yes exactly i don't know if that was like neil degrasse tyson or wharf (laughs) (laughs) wharf degrasse tyson Wharf there you go there you go right all right we will have our honor back brother (laughs) (laughs) and with that we're going to wrap up this episode of star talk I'm Charles Liu. You can call me Chuck. And here's Chuck Nice. (laughs) You can call me Charles. (laughs) All right. As Neil would say, keep looking up. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.